Welcome to AED Podcast. Um, on this episode, I guess there are episodes, um, this is Carolyn, and I have a guest with me today. He is a current P1 at the UT College of Pharmacy, um, very good friend of mine, and we are going to talk about um, basically like a lot of things that we don't normally think about in pharmacy and how it's so important to our um, healthcare system. And also like we're really particularly interested about the opioid crisis and we think that um, it'd be really useful for other people to be um, more aware of it. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So um, welcome, Alex. Hello. It's great <laughs> to be here. <laughs> So if you guys were um, in the panel, or you guys watched the panel last year, Alex spoke, he, um, that was when he got into pharmacy school. So some of you guys might know him already. Um, so um, why don't you go ahead and like tell us about like kind of what pharmacy entails and like um, some things that you would expect to do in your future job and things that like people might not expect. Yeah, for sure. So I think the main thing we have to start off with with pharmacy is that um, most people's only exposure to pharmacy is the retail side. So that's um, that's like the uh, the three letters. So it's like CVS, HEB, Walgreens, Walmart. Um, it's those big chain um, retail pharmacies that most people think about. That's their only exposure to it. However, there are a lot more different um, types of pharmacy jobs that people can go into. So um, not only is there like the big uh, corporate chains, there's also independent pharmacies. You can go um, into pharmaceutical industry jobs. You can do research in them. You can do like a specialized clinical role in a hospital. So there's a lot of different um, routes that a pharmacist can take and it's certainly not restricted to just uh, a retail setting that most people think of. For sure and I think a lot of people have this misunderstanding that the pharmacist is like there to count pills um, but it's way more than that so can you kind of explain like what um, the pharmacist would do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, yeah so um, or my, my only uh, exposure to pharmacy right now is in the retail side, I do work at Walmart Pharmacy, and um, it's kind of like the day-to-day -day biz um, business that pharmacists go through is they, um, I guess the first thing is they have to make sure that there are no drug-to-drug um, -drug interactions, that uh, the new prescriptions that a patient can bring in, make sure that there's no, um, make sure that's First of all, the patient's not allergic to it. That's a big thing. Um, make sure that the prescriptions that the doctor writes um, make sense. Make, make sure that um, it follows the guidelines that the FDA releases. Um, a really big topic right now is the opioid crisis and how pharmacists need to, um, first of all, log into the or log the prescription into a national database and make sure that the, uh, the patient is not um, abusing the system and trying to get multiple prescriptions from multiple different pharmacies, um, making sure that the patients aren't going to different doctors and then uh, making sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, making sure that um, there is, uh, or 
people are following the, uh, the regulations imposed by the FDA. But, uh, yeah, so there's that. They, they also, um, they will counsel patients on how to take medications, what side effects to look out for. Um, they can give over-the-counter uh, medication advice, counsel them on those as well, make sure that there's no negative drug uh, side effects or stuff like that. Um, yeah, and then um, I think one of the main things is just making sure that um, the patients are following the uh, or making sure that they do take their medications regularly. So making sure that they are following or making sure that they're adhering to their uh, prescription therapies that the doctor has written, stuff like that. Yeah, so I think just in general, people don't give pharmacists the credit that they deserve. Um, I think when, when people think about healthcare, they think about doctors, nurses, PAs, um, people who are in those settings. But um, I remember when you were actually interviewing for pharmacy school, um, you mentioned how like a big reason for why you wanted to become a pharmacist because pharmacists are the people or the healthcare providers that people encounter most on a, um, I guess, in their daily lives. So mm -hmm. they're really heavily involved with the community. So I think that's um, something that we, I guess, forget to acknowledge as people who are going into healthcare that like pharmacists play a very critical role in yeah, the whole sure. healthcare system. I think that um, especially in like rural areas, pharmacists are, uh, it's easier for them to kind of branch out and then um, basically go into those, uh, those rural communities where um, you could have one or two doctor's clinics there, but um, it's really like a centralized hospital system that's uh, that like a majority of these small towns or stuff go to. Um, and so it's like harder for these, um, the residents of these rural areas to go to the, the hospital area. However, if there's like a drugstore or like a pharmacy in like a local Walmart or a CVS or someplace that they pick up their groceries regularly, it's uh, really easy for these, uh, these people to go to the pharmacy and either ask for like, uh, like advice regarding like, Oh, when should I take this medication? Or if I add this medication, what would happen to my, uh, um, or how would that shift my um, my other medication therapies, stuff like that? Yeah. So, um, so we mentioned before, um, pretty much like the topic for today is the opioid crisis, and um, so I just kind of want to like pull it back a little bit and kind of give, I guess, whoever's listening, kind of a general background of what the opioid crisis is and when it started and how it started. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, the opioid crisis is obviously a hot topic right now in regarding or in major like um, or in other healthcare professionals. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it because it's a really big deal right now. And um, I just wanted to give off a couple of facts. Uh, so as of 2008, drug overdose deaths have actually outpaced motor vehicle traffic deaths as the leading cause of injury in uh, the U.S., or injury deaths in the U.S., I should say. 
So um, the data depicts all drug overdose deaths, but um, it kind of just highlights the importance of educating patients regarding safe medication practices. And then, um, so some brief history regarding the drug overdose uh, or opioid crisis in general. So um, the significant and sustained increase in the drug overdose deaths have originated since the 1990s, and it can be linked to opioid overprescribing uh, by physicians. And then, so the data shows that prescription opioid deaths have actually kind of plateaued since 2008 and 2010. So this is a result of changes in regulations, such as uh, prescription monitoring programs, uh, changes to the manufacturing of these opioid medications such as creating crush resistant oxycontin and other uh, abuse deterrents. Uh, so there's also prescriber education which has caused a decrease in opioid prescribing and prescription opioid tempering. Um, all this is good so there's actually an increase in these regulations is a step in the right direction. So by restricting these patients from a steady supply of prescription opioids from their doctors, it actually um, caused these patients to look towards other avenues to satisfy the, the highs. And so this had the unintended and unfortunate consequence of pushing people towards the illicit opioid market, um, with, such as heroin or um, other drugs. And so that uh, created a heroin, op heroin overdose that tripled between 2010 and 2013. And so although heroin has similar properties and effects to prescription opioids, there are actually a lot of differences between batch to batch, which results in variable doses trains and can be very dangerous to the users. And so today, uh, heroin isn't the only illicit opioid on the market. Uh, the real problem is with these synthetic opioids, such as fentanyl, which can be 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin. And um, a lot of these drug dealers have been adding heroin uh, or have been adding the fentanyl into heroin batches, creating a more potent and um, it's, benef or it's beneficial to them because it's, they can package uh, them into smaller bags, which improves their, uh, their ability to move it from location to location and while providing the similar highs or profits for these drug dealers. And so um, the same is also true for another synthetic opioid, which is carfentanil. And it's even, even that is significantly more potent than fentanyl. So yeah, so um, that was just a brief um, background regarding the opioid crisis. And I just wanted to touch on how pharmacists are kind of on the front lines of combating this opioid crisis. And so um, pharmacists are usually the first point in contact for these patients when they're prescribed opioids and they are highly accessible medical professionals to the public. And so um, these pharmacists are able to educate these patients on safe use and awareness and be aware uh, of the risks and side effects regarding these medications. And so um, pharmacies have put in place some company-wide regulations, for example, at my store, Walmart, uh, we have chosen to follow the FDA's guidelines regarding opioid dispensing. This has restricted uh, prescriptions to be only a seven-day supply for acute 
prescriptions of opioids, as well as limiting it to only a maximum of 50 morphine milliequivalents per day. So yeah, um, that's kind of what, uh, what pharmacists have been doing regarding um, their, uh, what they've been doing day to day uh, to combat these opioid crisis. Um, another thing that is coming in the future, however, is that, uh, or I guess a lot of these, a lot of states have already passed this, but um, pharmacists have been allowed to dispense naloxone without a prescription. So they do have quote unquote prescribing powers, but only for naloxone. And so um, I didn't really go into naloxone, but uh, naloxone is a, um, is a medication that can be administered to someone who is going through an opioid overdose. And basically what it'll do is it'll um, remove, it'll bind all the uh, receptors that the opioids are going towards and it will immediately bring them back from a high or from the overdose. And then it has been shown, there's been a lot of research regarding it and it has been shown to significantly save um, a lot of people's lives when they're going through an overdose. But yeah. Yeah, so um, you mentioned naloxone and um, I think there's kind of a misconception there sometimes for people. Um, and I guess, especially when it comes to the government, um, there's like this idea that if you have naloxone um, more readily available, perhaps that would promote drug use. Um, so that would, you know, I guess, yeah, promote drug use. But then in reality, it's completely different because then when these, um, when naloxone is available and like widely spread out, um, in case someone does have a drug overdose, it's so much better because that they are saving their lives, even if it is, you know, potentially risking them or putting them at risk for, um, like, quote unquote, like more drug use, it is ultimately saving lives. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so, um, that is a common, like, um, common thing that people have talked about, like, oh, if someone, if we provide this antidote, uh, per se for people who are, um, they'll, they'll make these drug users, um, try to chase higher highs. And so they'll start taking more of this, uh, these drugs in order to get uh, a better high or chase the first high that they had. And so um, that's actually, that's actually pretty false because uh, when you um, administer naloxone to someone who is going through an overdose, um, basically what will happen is that the, the person will um, be will go from basically a hundred in terms of being high to zero in a matter of like a minute or thirty seconds to a minute, and then right after that they'll go through withdrawals. And so, um, like when you administer naloxone the first time to someone, the first thing they're going to think is not "thank you for saving my life." Instead, they're going to go through these withdrawal symptoms. And so, um, well, obviously these withdrawal symptoms are very, uh, very, or I guess very strong. And so, um, people aren't going to be using 
Narcan or naloxone like that way let's say yeah if that makes sense I don't know. yeah absolutely and um I think we we were in a health and society class um our sophomore year and we talked about something similar and I think there was some um I guess like some data collected on um you know drug use I guess it was like um, when national park rangers were carrying naloxone, the number of deaths related to um, like drug overdose, just like it dropped so much because if they did have it, like it would save them. Mm. Um, so ultimately, like it is a step in the right direction. And like there has been some pushback in regard to like whether or not naloxone should be widely available. Um, but I mean, the data speaks for itself that it is, you know, ultimately bringing yeah. people um, back because otherwise they'd be dead um so i mean okay so we talked about something similar um if you guys went to the ethics panel um or if you went to um the mmi practice session um there was basically the prompt where um there was a situation where a patient was presenting at the pharmacy and um they were asking for needles and they didn't have any prescription for um like insulin or anything um like for like you know I guess, quote unquote, like prescribed use. Um, so I think, was this something that you were asked during your pharmacy school interviews and like, kind of like, what is your take on that situation? Yeah, so um, I wasn't asked this in my interview, um, but like, obviously the ex ethics are there um, regarding whether or not you should provide uh, clean, and safe sterile needles to someone who could be using um, them for drugs, whether or not they're using it for drugs, making sure that they don't reuse dirty needles. Um, yeah, in terms of like practical, in um, when I'm working at um, at a pharmacy, we we usually have like um, policies that it's like based off the. The pharmacist and so usually if someone does ask and the first thing I do ask them is oh do you have a prescription with us um, and if they say no uh, I will go ask the pharmacist because it's just it's up to the pharmacist um, and if I were the pharmacist I would want to provide someone with safe and sterile uh, needles I think that that's uh, there are a lot more the the benefits outweigh the, the risks because you are providing someone with sterile needles. So they don't could, they might not um, get like bloodborne pathogens, stuff like that. And yeah, but it's ultimately it is up to the pharmacist that is working that day. Yeah. And um, I think something that's pretty important that we should talk about, I guess, because this is like, the opioid crisis, I think around that kind of is the topic of addiction. And addiction is very heavily stigmatized in our society. Um, so when you're approaching situations like this, it's very easy to um, kind of like approach from a judgmental standpoint and kind of like thinking about that stigma. But I think especially as future healthcare providers, like we want to make sure that um, whenever we are encountering patients, even if it is something that like, you know, it could be perpetuating their potential drug use, 
um, it's not our place to judge them and like to put more stigma upon them. If they aren't, then, you know, that'd be very detrimental to their, um, I guess, like self-esteem and identity. So I think that's important. And like, as a way to counterbalance that, like, it's important that like, you know, you do provide education and like to your patients, if you do believe that they are, um, like using these needles for drug use and, it is like ultimately like our goal to prevent these bloodborne pathogens because those could be potentially more dangerous. Um, mm -hmm. And like you can overcome addiction, like that's very doable. Like people do it all the time. Um, but if something like HIV, like if you were to be infected by HIV, like you can't um, for now, like there isn't a cure for that. So um, I think the way that most people answered can potentially be riddled with, I guess, um, preconceptions and stigma. So I think that's something that we bring to light. Um, by talking about something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, regarding um, addiction, I think that there has been a shift in thinking recently where um, they are shifting it towards like a, a, a mental like illness. They're considering it more um, like it is an illness. It's not like a, a choice, like, um, I think in the past people have been like, oh, if you're addicted, just stop. Like what's mm -hmm. preventing you from stopping? But um, there, there are, there is research regarding like changes in the brain uh, reflecting like this addiction. And so, um, yeah, I think the the shift in thinking is a step in the right direction. And I think that um, it's an important distinction and it, decreases the stigma towards people who are um, who could be addicted to anything really yeah and i think it's important to remember that like the origins of the uh, opioid crisis were um from patients who were in chronic pain um these people were seeking help for pain and it just so happened that um they were prescribed a medication that is addictive um, but it's not addictive in the way that they're just trying to seek high, but that they're trying to relieve pain that they've been living with for a long time. So um, mm -hmm. it, it's important to step into the shoes of the patient and like understand that as well. So, um, mm -hmm. okay. So I guess that's a lot about um, opioid crisis. So I kind of wanted to like, shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about pharmacy. Um, so as I was mentioning, pharmacists aren't, um, really widely recognized as much as um, they should be, in my opinion. Um, and I think there have been some limitations in like what pharmacists can do. And so, um, I mean, just from like speaking with Alex on like a personal level, like um, by talking to him about like his experience as a pharmacy technician, um, there have been a lot of instances where he could see that like the pharmacists could ultimately help deliver the best care for their patient. Um, if they were given potential prescribing power. Um, so situations where um, the pharmacist or you as a pharmacy technician would have to contact the doctor's office and like if their medication wasn't dosed properly, if they gave like um, a dosage that doesn't exist, they can't, you can't give that to a patient. Um, but contacting the doctor is really difficult oftentimes and um, doctors are busy seeing their current patients. So um, I think a great solution to that would be having some prescriptive power given to pharmacists. That's some pretty liberal thinking. Um, but um, I guess like I want to hear your take on it, Alex, and like kind of 
where people are hesitant about that and like where it could be really helpful. Yeah. So, um, regarding like, uh, what I have experienced in like the pharmacy setting as a technician. So, um, a couple examples that I would give are, um, so one time when I was, uh, filling a prescription for someone. So, um, or they brought it, the patient brought in a prescription from a doctor, uh, and they wanted me to, uh, type in the uh, prescription and then fill the medication. Uh, so the first thing I do with all prescriptions is I look at it make sure that um, every, all the necessary information, like patient information is on there, such as date of birth, first name, last name. Um, if it's a controlled medication, I make sure that the address is on there, all the um, identifiers, identifying numbers for the, um, the providers are there like doctors or uh, nurse practitioners, stuff like that. And then um, the one thing I noticed was that it was a, this particular prescription was a pain medication from an emergency room, but the date of it was uh, two to three months prior to when they were coming in. And um, first of all, when I saw that immediately red flags, because, you know, um, if it's, a um if it's an emergency room chances are it is an acute like uh acute situation where they need to uh, be taking this medication for that um and the reason for the doctors to write a prescription for that is because it was an acute situation and so um the uh we had to call the doctor's office just to or the emergency room to make sure that the um, the doctors were um, willing to, or were, I guess, wanted the um, the patient to take this medication still. And um, obviously, since it was an emergency room, we couldn't really get any physicians to come to the phone. And so, um, as a result of that, we had to turn away the patient because. Um, we had to get the doctor's approval to actually dispense this medication. And um, just from like explaining to the, the patient, I could tell that um, the patient has been to like multiple pharmacies trying to get this prescription like filled and we weren't the first one to turn them away either. So um, it's just like, um, I feel like a lot of doctors, um, the doctor's exposure to the patients is really, like when they come into the clinic or come to the hospital and then they'll write this prescription and then, um, and then they'll just send them off uh, on their way to get, pick up the medication, can continue the treatment, however. And um, I think that the pharmacist role is unique because um, whenever these patients come in for uh, refills of the medication, if it's a chronic illness, if they come in every month, every three months to pick up their medication, uh, the patient can, is more likely to see the, uh, the pharmacist than they are to see the doctor. Like uh, patients can probably only see the doctor if, if they have something wrong with them or if they have a scheduled like yearly clinic visit or something. And so, um, so yeah, so regarding 
I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, but uh, regarding the provider status, um, so a lot of a lot of states have already um, mandated that pharmacists are given these uh, provider status. And so um, a lot of like systems are also um, implementing it as well. For example, in the VA, the Veteran Affairs, uh, the system itself, pharmacists are considered mid-level practitioners. So they do have prescribing authority within uh, the defined scope of practice. And so I think that's the main, um, that, that's hopefully what, my goal, I, I would like to practice in a VA as a pharmacist because it's really, you're practicing at the top of your profession, like everything you've learned in school, that's kind of what you're doing in a VA uh, system. But, but yeah, that's uh, one example of that. And um, another example that pharmacists are able to, where pharmacists are able to prescribe is uh, collaborative practice agreements and so in those cases pharmacists will be partnering with a physician uh, and they sign up agreement that basically allows or gives authority to the pharmacist and allows them to uh, make either make changes to a prescription uh, or as long as it's within their scope of practice make changes to a prescription or uh, write new prescriptions as well so how common is that um, you know, I actually don't think I've ever, in, in, in uh, Austin, I don't know if there are many, certainly aren't with retail pharmacies, like big chain re uh, retail pharmacies. I'm sure it's a lot more common in like small independent pharmacies. Um, I think that's more uh, so like a, a doctor's clinic will uh, sign an agreement or collaborative practice agreement with a trusted pharmacist who's at this independent. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really, I've never seen it personally, but you know, that could just be because it's like the big corporations. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So another Example is uh, in Idaho, pharmacists can now prescribe and dispense drugs for a long list of issues, such as cold sores, seasonal influenza, strep throat, uncomplicated UTIs, diabetic conditions. And um, I don't know about you, but when I think of Idaho, I think of rural areas, a lot of rural areas. And so I think that um, this is an example of a situation where pharmacists are um, vital in. Um, dealing with these rural populations and um, supplementing this lack of uh, health health care in general, I guess. And so um, tying it to that, so there was a new house or there was a house bill called House Bill 592 that was, uh, I think it was, I'm, I'm not too, I don't, I don't really know too much about like government stuff, but I think it was like, uh, it was like placed on the floor or something. It was put on what? the floor. It was like, like I, I don't know. But it, I think it's in like a committee or something, but it's like it was debated upon. So it was like uh, they put it on the floor and then they like try to uh, like debate whether or not it's a good idea. I don't know. But basically, 
um, House Bill 592. It was a, um, basically it allows pharmacists to bill through Medicare in uh, health professionals shortage areas. And um, that ties into the lack of, uh, I think that there is a lack of primary care prescribers, especially in rural areas. And so this is kind of um, something to help uh, with that problem. And so uh, House Bill 592 is really similar to some of the first steps that nurses did as an organization when they were trying to attain provider status. And, I, and the goal of this is to get pharmacists to get provider status for federal-based insurances. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and something that actually just passed as of this year, January 1st, 2020, House Bill 1757, mandated that um, or it was an amendment to the insurance codes. And so uh, basically allowed commercial health plans to add pharmacists to a list of healthcare practitioners. And this allows pharmacists to be on provider networks and be reimbursed for services that are within their scope of practice. And so, um, or this is, this is in Texas. So in Texas, pharmacists are allowed to bill for a certain um, services that they do that are within their scope of practice. And that's only, as of now, that's only for commercial health plans. And so what House Bill 592 is trying to do is, is trying to um, broaden that to also include federal-based insurances as well. So that's like Medicare, Medicaid, stuff like that. But uh, as of right now, or House Bill 592 was, uh, I believe, um, it was, I think, I think the correct word is proposed, not placed on the floor. It was proposed. Yeah, I thought when you said placed on the floor, I thought like they printed out the bill and just put oh it on the God. floor. And I was like, what? But I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like debated upon or it was proposed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But House Bill 592 is proposed in 2017 and we still haven't had any update on that yet. But, you know, fingers crossed. So you said that like for House Bill 1757 that pharmacists would be able to be reimbursed for different services. What would some services include? You know, I have no idea. Would like vaccinations count? Um, <laughs> I, I have no idea. It's, it's like so new that um, a lot of insurance companies don't really know what to do about it. Like, okay. um, I think that a lot of these, uh, these amendments to these, uh, the, especially the insurance codes, they're so new that, uh, insurance companies are trying to figure it out on their end. And then, uh, pharmacists are trying to figure out what they can do or what they can offer to, um, the medical or like the healthcare system as a whole. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, honestly cannot tell you i'm pretty sure it's like uh so i think this has more to do with like specialized care in terms of pharmacists so like um a a potential area that a pharmacist could be in is called uh pharmacists could work in like a clinic with a doctor or a physician in a clinic and they could uh they could do something called ambulatory care and that's kind of like managing chronic diseases, disease states such as diabetes. 
or hypertension. And so, uh, yeah, it could somewhere be along the lines of like uh, changing uh, dosages. I, no, I don't know. I'll have to do more research. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess I want to see like how like right or wrong I am in my thinking, um, especially about like pharmacists getting prescribing power. So from what I think and what I would expect is if a patient were to come in and this doctor, like, I don't know, they needed to like um, get like, um, like their annual like re-prescription or whatever, like they need to, like the pharmacist, oh no, sorry, the doctor needs to like uh, refill, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, so like write them a refill or something for, I don't know, something routine, like um, I guess like high blood pressure medication or something like that. Um, and like, let's say like, I don't know, the pharmacist or sorry, the doctor just didn't do it, right? Maybe like they changed up medications or something like that. And um, when they come to the pharmacy and they're ready to, you know, get the prescription, the pharmacist could be like, yeah, this isn't the right dose, like, sorry. Um, if it's like a Sunday, doctor's office is closed, they can't call the doctors, send the patient home, they don't have their medication, um, mm -hmm. which could be potentially dangerous. So like, I guess if um, pharmacists had the ability to be like, yeah, this dose doesn't exist, but I could like, um, kind of like evaluate your chart and like, di not diagnose, sorry, I'm so dumb, prescribe you with the right medication, um, similar to what your doctor would normally prescribe you, um, would that be a better alternative? And is that something that we would hope to see with, like, I guess, these new bills? Um, yeah, so I think that the main thing with that is, uh, so um, or regarding, like, the refills, um, so a lot of times what patients will do, so doctors or physicians will write, prescriptions for like three months at a time with multiple refills and so it'll be like a full year type thing and uh so the patient will like come in to get the the refills or whatever and once that once they run out of refills for that prescription um what the doc or what the patient will do is they'll be like oh pharmacist can i get a refill on my prescription and then uh me as a technician i'll look at them and be like oh you're out of refills on this. Uh, we can fax a doctor for you and then just, uh, yeah. And then the doc, we fax him to the, uh, the doctor's office. Doctor's office sees it, make sure that it's uh, the patient's still on this medication or whatever. And then they just send us a prescription back. The patient doesn't need to go into the doctor's office, no nothing. They just need to uh, call us. We let the uh, physician's office know and then they send the prescription back to us. So it's like uh, the, the, the patient's only like mode of communication is really towards the, uh, the pharmacist area or the pharmacy. And so, um, yeah. So in the instance that like, yeah, the patient comes in on a Sunday and the doctor's office is closed, you can't fax them. So yeah. That... Yeah. I mean, I think it was a good idea. Um, I think the main problem with trying to get all these uh, all these 
things or power ups, I guess, for the pharmacist in terms of like having prescriber status is that um, I think that a lot of other healthcare professionals uh, are worried that we're going to like somehow take more of the pie for ourselves or take parts of the pie for the pharmacist. And um, I, I personally don't believe that's true. And I think that with a health healthcare system are leaning more towards like um, collaborative practice and um, moving more towards like making sure that or all, all obviously all healthcare professionals will have some sort of overlap in terms of ability. And it's more along the lines of working together with other um, healthcare professionals because um, based on your training, you're trained to think in a certain way. And so the way a nurse thinks or the way a physician or doctors thinks uh, is going to be different than how a pharmacist thinks just based on their their training and i think that having all these healthcare professionals be able to work together will be in the best interest of patients in the long run and another uh, another example for um the whole uh, uh i don't know but what we were talking about before it's like a, a patient could go to multiple different doctors. They could switch between multiple different doctors and um, their old prescriptions. If there is still a refill remaining on that, they can still be taking a medication from a previous doctor that they probably shouldn't be taking now because um, when the, the patient is shifting from doctor to doctor, they could um, accidentally add or double up on one of their medications. And so one of the things that pharmacists have been um, known to do is called MTMs or, uh, or it's called MTMs. I think it's like medication therapy management. Let me look it up real quick. <laughs> yeah, medic medication therapy management. And it's where um, these pharmacists will look through a list of the patient's medications and then make sure that, you know, they're taking the necessary medications. They're not taking duplicates of the same thing or um, something else along those lines or stopping a medication that they think that they don't need anymore. If they're, uh, if the therapy was only meant for a short term uh, and the, the patient's still taking it after all this time, they could, uh, double check with the doctor, make sure that uh, this medication needs to be stopped or the therapy needs to be stopped. Yeah. I just think that there is a lot of untapped potential with pharmacists because their unique role in the community is being the, the, the healthcare providers that are most um, accessible. Accessible. Exactly. Um, and I feel like if we are not giving them the opportunity to, um, I guess, amend prescriptions as they see fit and like provide, um, I guess, like more extensive care in that sense with like the ability to prescribe. I think 
that's a limited way of thinking about the healthcare system. And I think that's probably why the healthcare system is kind of as broken as it is. And I don't think that, I think especially with like the whole pie mentality of like, oh, there's only so many roles and like, you got to divide it up between all the healthcare professionals. Like, I don't agree with that either. I think, I mean, yeah, the healthcare setting is collaborative now. Um, but if ultimately, like if sharing the roles will mean that you're going to be providing better care for people and they're going to get better access to care, um, if they can't like, you know, reach their doctors all the time, they have access to their pharmacists. So if it means getting better care for people, I think that the concept of the pie is like completely outdated. Like people shouldn't be, I guess, concerned with like their ego of like, oh, how many roles does my, like, I don't know, like my suffix gives me, right? Mm-hmm. That I, I don't think that has a place in healthcare. So I just think, um, I don't know. That's my personal opinion. I think that's kind of why I'm pro <laughs> prescribing power for pharmacists. Oh. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> you're welcome. I'll, I'll like, I'll lobby for you. Don't worry. Oh, you're not. <laughs> But, but that's like, important. That's important. Cause yeah. like, especially for people who are doctors or are going to be doctors, or if you're like future PAs, future nurses, like you got to be aware of like everyone else's role and not just yours. And I think if our goal is to be patient centered, then we should really consider our roles and ourselves as a team um, mm. for the benefit of the patient, not for our own egos and whatnot. Yeah. I, I think it's, it boils down to a lot of like uh change in mentality. I think that, um, especially like the older generation, uh, especially for pharmacists, like uh, it used to be that pharmacy, a pharmacy degree used to only be, or used to be a bachelor's degree. And then now it's transitioning more towards like a doctorate degree. And um, so it's kind of like pharmacists, that change in, um, change in mentality for like, a pharmacist is no longer just someone who's, you know, counting pills, even though that's really not what they were doing before. It's like a pharmacy technician does that. They count the pills. I count the pills, not the pharmacist. But, um, but yeah, so it's like that change in thinking and, and um, really proving to the, uh, the healthcare system uh, what pharmacists can do and making sure that you are, we are appreciated and, making sure that we you know, get paid for what we do because yeah. right now, for example, right now we're not even uh, in retail pharmacy. We're not even paid to counsel. So like, uh, especially in like these three letter mega, uh, mega corporation retail pharmacies, they only focus on like metrics. So like how many prescriptions you fill, how many flu shots you do, and so talking to patients and counseling them on medication is taking time away from these metrics. And so it's really incentivizing uh, pharmacists to kind of like, okay, here's your medication. Do you know how to take it? Good. Okay. Uh, you're on your way. And th- there's really not that building of like rapport and making sure that these patients actually know what medication they're taking because in the end of the day, in the end of the day, if the uh, if the patient doesn't take the medication, they're not getting better. And um, just handing uh, a potentially dangerous medication to a patient who 
could misuse it will cause long-term harm that's uh, mm-hmm. that could even that could negatively affect their, their health yeah for sure and i guess maybe this is just food for thought but um i know this is a very big issue among doctors is the problem that there's only 15 minutes to see a patient and you either have 15 minutes with patient or you sacrifice your income um like if you're having a private practice with the number of patients that you are able to see in a day by having extending your um the number or how long you can like speak to a patient. So that's a very important topic for a lot of people. But a lot of times when people are going to their like primary care physician or things like that, they are going for routine things like checkups and stuff. So I feel like if we shift some of that power to pharmacists who are more community oriented, um, I mean, I'll be like your pharmacies are already busy as it is, but like, I guess expanding that, like opening the market for like pharmacists to assume similar roles like this and like these kinds of institutions that could take some of the, the bearing off of primary care physicians and like kind of like redistributing where patients go for more routine things. Like, I guess like getting flu tests and stuff like that and having the physicians taking care of like um, more severe problems per se. I don't know. That's just a thought. I haven't put much thought into it, but like, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I think that healthcare system or our healthcare system is really transitioning more towards like a patient centered system. And like, I literally just had a reading about this for my discussion today. And so uh, I had to write a summary about this article, whatever. But uh, anyways, (laughs) uh, these patient centered systems, they really focus on like making sure that the patient feels that they are part of the healthcare team, um, the patient and the family, and making sure that they are really part of the decision-making process. And so in terms of like feeling uh, primary care physicians only have like 15 minutes to talk to a patient or even like pharmacists and how um, they're trying to meet their metrics and whatever and not taking time to build rapport with these patients. Um, it's really like counterintuitive in where we're trying to go with this healthcare system. Like we're not really thinking about um, the uh, these patients. And I think that the fact that we're um, setting or we're always in like a hurry and we're trying to make sure that uh, we get this, 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 and this done, but um, we're not taking time to actually talk to these patients. These patients will start, like closing up and they won't potentially share important information with us. And that could impact their, uh, their healthcare and how um, the therapies that they're be- being given. And I think that um, the most important thing is making sure that the patient feels like they are appreciated and not like some, I don't know, nuisance or whatever. And I don't think that's why a lot of us, um, healthcare professionals even went into this field in the first place. I feel like a lot of us came in trying to help people. And I think that uh, we're really shifting away from that because we're worried about metrics or worried about, um, I don't know, profits or whatever, making sure that we're meeting them. But, um, but yeah, I personally, I think that, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but there has been a shift in that thinking. And I think that's a, uh, a step in the right direction. 
Yeah. So we've been talking about retail pharmacy a lot. So um, I kind of wanted to like open the floor and like kind of see um, what other things that you can do as a pharmacist. And I know that like you're particularly interested in clinical pharmacy. So like, do you mind sharing like some of the more unique um, things that pharmacists can like specialize in? Yeah, so um, I talked about this in the beginning and how there are a lot of different routes that a pharmacist can do, can go into. And uh, yeah, I have like a list here and it's like a lot. <laughs> I don't want to like say all of them, but uh, I, I know that especially at um, Dell Seton, you can, they have residencies for pharmacists there. And uh, you can go through like a two year residency and really specialize in a particular aspect of um, pharmacy. And so um, if you're working in a hospital setting, these clinical pharmacists, they can focus either in like cardiology, infectious diseases, uh, oncology, they can do nuclear pharmacy, they can uh, do internal medicine. It's really uh, kind of like the whole, uh, I don't know, there are a lot. Yeah. There's a, you can also <laughs> do like pharmacogenomics, pharmacoeconomics, do healthcare or health outcomes research. Uh, you can do transplant pharmacy. You can do telehealth, women's health, primary care. There are a lot. Yeah. And so like, I guess also in addition to these kinds of pharmacy, like what would you be doing if you were a pharmacist working in industry? Yeah. Uh, so industry is kind of like um, you're, you're mainly doing like research and regarding uh, novel drugs. You're trying to find new mechanisms of action and um, how these drugs can help different disease states. And so um that 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 really focuses on like the um, kind of like being in the lab or um, kind of along those lines, like research, really heavily like basic research and how um, like finding novel drug targets in like proteins or um, other things. That's like a yeah. whole can of worms. Like there's so yeah. much. I think that's pretty cool and I think that what makes that's what makes pharmacy really unique if you're a student um, there's a lot of different avenues that you could take as compared to medical school you go to medical school go to residency then you're you're there um, what's different about pharmacy is that like you have the opportunity to choose different things like you can choose to work in community pharmacy or retail or you can be in clinical setting or you could be doing industry there's a lot of different things like you could that you could choose like you have the opportunity to kind of like see different parts of your own field and choose where you want to specialize and it's like all those clinical aspects are the same ones that are offered pretty much for like doctors you'd be working in similar settings so like if you're interested in like endocrinology like they are pharmacists who do that yeah, um sure. but i think it's pretty cool and i think it's something that not a lot of people know about unless you're in pharma I, I didn't know about this until like I don't know, you got into pharmacy school. So I thought it was like something important to share. Yeah. Um, and like in terms of pharmacists being in kind of like the same places that physicians are in and nurses are in. Um, but yeah, like uh, you can specialize in 
or another specialty that clinical pharmacists can go into is they can be critical care. They can be right where like all the, um, all that quote unquote action is. And um, I think that pharmacists offer so many different things, especially since this field is in its infancy. Um, you can really choose what you want to do with this degree. And um, initially I thought when I was choosing to go to pharmacy school, I thought I was like narrowing down what I want to do in the future. But uh, once I got into pharmacy, I found that there are so many options. Like I feel like um, I have even more decisions to make now than I did when I was choosing to go to pharmacy school. And I think that's really what, um, you know, motivates me as a pharmacy student. I want to learn more about what, my training can do in the future and how it can help patients in the future. And yeah, like now, even now I'm like really torn between two, two routes. Like I want to do, uh, on one hand, I really want to help in like a clinical hospital setting. I think that'd be pretty cool. I like, I went to Dell Seton for an interview once and it was beautiful. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> yeah. It's gorgeous. I want to be there. But um, on the other hand, I really like and enjoy research. And so um, industry is another attractive route for me. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah. I think that's really great about pharmacy. There's like a lot of innovation going on. So I love pharmacy. Um, think it's dope. Love my pharmacists. I think everyone should share the loved pharmacists. Please tell your local pharmacists that you love them. <laughs> oh God. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Especially like, now, I, like yeah, like with this whole COVID nineteen thing, um, that that just shows like how accessible pharmacists are. Like they are considered now essential workers. But I mean, like, um, yeah, they they're like always open, mostly always open and they get pretty much the most traffic through like, um, like people picking up their medications or refills, but also, um, people who are looking for over the counter stuff, you know, there's a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. So, um, I hope this was enlightening for a lot of you. Um, if any of you like are interested in pharmacy now, like I really hope that like maybe this like sparked some interest in you about like, I don't know, potentially going to pharmacy school or just, I don't know, be more appreciative of your um, fellow pharmacy students, pre-pharmacy students or your pharmacists in general. So um, thank you so much, um, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. If you have, if anyone has any questions, they can, contact me or contact Carolyn and Carolyn contact me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> go go find Alex on Facebook. Um <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> but yeah. Um I I really hope that everyone learned something today at least. Um whether it be about opioid crisis or about pharmacy in general. Um I think it's a wonderful field and it deserves a lot of love. So Thank you, Alex, for sharing your wisdom. (laughs) You mean uh, me just rambling on and on about random stuff? No. I thought it was insightful. Um, But yeah, thank you for listening. This might be a long one, but um, appreciate you. I hope everyone's doing safe or doing well and staying safe. Wash your hands. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah.
Awesome. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>